Hey, good morning, everybody. Before we dive in, I just wanted to say a special thank you to everybody who has sacrificed evenings and weekends and time with family and energy in order to help us get this facility ready. Anytime there's a room that's been vacant for nearly a decade, there's bound to be a lot of work to do. And there was, but I'm so thankful for each one of you who said this is not this is not about us and our preferences. This is about giving people a place to find hope, because that's what we're really after. We want people to know that they matter to us and they matter to God. And I know a new anthem has by far the best volunteers in the world. And if there was ever church wars we would win on a lot of different fronts because y'all are awesome. And some of you are heavily armed. And so there's that. And thanks again for everything. That being said, we're starting a brand new series of messages today called One Hit Wonder. And we're going to be in a section of the Bible titled Jude. And Jude is only one chapter long, hence the name One Hit Wonder, which, how about the band? Did you like their one-hit wonder? Speaking of church wars, our band is better than your band. Awesome. But back to the Bible. If you're new to the Scriptures, Jude is located towards the end of your Bible. So if you open it up to the very back, there'll be some maps and likely a concordance. You'll come across the book of Revelation and then Jude. In case you're curious, Jude is short for Judas, but Judas, that name, it got hijacked from a bad guy, and it wouldn't be good to call yourself that. It'd be kind of like you naming your kid Benedict Arnold, or Tom Brady, or Willie the Wildcat. You know, it's just not a good situation. But Jude is a monumentally important book for you to be aware of because Jude was Jesus' brother. Well, half-brother, same mom, different dad. But despite that, Jude was not an early adopter of Jesus' ministry. Which, think about it from your own life. What would your older sibling have to do in order to convince you that they were God? Probably a miracle. Probably a miracle like witnessing them be executed on a cross and declared dead by a professional executioner, then buried, only to be followed three days later by them walking out of the grave and joining you for a cup of coffee. In my opinion, the only better case to be made for the divinity of Jesus Christ than Jude, the only better case is a guy named James, Jesus' other half-brother, who also wrote a book of the Bible. Neither James or Jude viewed Jesus as the Son of God until after he rose from the dead. And they both died a martyr's death in order to advance Jesus' cause. And by the way, they're both named at the beginning of Mark chapter 6 as not believing in Jesus. So that's your brief introduction to Jude. This morning I want to read to you the first three verses. It's a message I'm calling, Defend Your Delivery. Defend Your Delivery. Here we go. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all have been called 
by God the Father who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has delivered once for all time to His holy people. God, thank you for your word. We have come to whatever place we're gathered in to hear from you. Nobody has come to hear somebody expound on wisdom that they think they have. Rather, we've come to hear from the God of the universe who speaks all things into existence, who gives life, who offers the free gift of salvation. Do what only you can do. Change our lives. Change our hearts. Help us draw one step closer to your son, Jesus. Uh, Help us change the world around us, wherever you have placed us. Give us power. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. We're asking you for your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to fill this place, to fill, uh, go through the fiber optics and be with us wherever we are, God. Again, do what only you can do. Strengthen and encourage us. Make us new. We ask it all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase porch pirate or not. A few years ago, it wasn't even a word, so don't feel bad if you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's pretty much what it sounds like. A porch pirate is a person who commandeers treasure left behind by FedEx or Amazon when you order something. Their favorite time to strike is typically during the holidays. They may or may not have an eye patch and a peg leg. So far, I've never seen one carrying a parrot. Uh, But 1.7 million, that's the number. 1.7 million packages are lost or stolen every day. Every day. That's 20 per second if you do the math. Now, many states are fighting back. They've made porch piracy a crime punishable by up to a year in prison and a fine. If you're a repeat offender, you can have up to five years in jail. Uh, Delivery companies started trying to protect your deliveries. They've uh, developed these sites and lockers where you go to a location. There's a bank of mailboxes where the delivery man will, will put your package, similar to a post office. You can get everything delivered there. Other vendors, stores, they've created free shipping when you ship it to the store. But customers have also started taking matters into their own hands. Video doorbells are rather popular and helpful in this case. Uh, That would be just horrible, wouldn't it, to have your mug posted all over Facebook because you were trying to steal something because a doorbell caught you. But my all-time favorite way to defend your deliveries is the glitter bomb. An engineer, which, come on, it's always the engineers. you got to watch out for those dudes. But an engineer developed a glitter bomb because he was sick of having his packages stolen. He rigged up a deal where when you open the box, it exploded glitter all over you and your house and everywhere. And we all know glitter never comes out. It's the worst of all craft accessories. And he left his box on his porch. You should read the story, check out the video online, see how it plays out. Uh, But 
I bring this to your attention because in the same way that there are porch pirates trying to steal your stuff, according to Jude, there are faith pirates trying to steal your soul. And the brother of Jesus urges us to defend the faith that God has delivered. So jot this down if you're taking notes. The gospel God has delivered is a message worth defending. The good news of Jesus, the gospel that God has delivered, it is a message worth defending. What's Jude right? Defend the faith that God has delivered. He says, I'm a slave to this message. In fact, he writes, I wanted to email you about something else to encourage you, but because I'm a slave... Because I'm a doulos, that's what the word is there in the Greek. So he's saying, because I was freed by my master and I was so thankful to be freed, I chose to serve him for the rest of my life. That's what a doulos is, a freed slave who was so thankful for his freedom that he said, I don't want to be free. I want to work for you forever. Like you're the best boss in the world. In fact, I made this coffee mug that says just that. But Jude says, because I'm God's slave, I'm forced to write about something I didn't intend to write about. But I heard there's some faith pirates trying to hijack the message God has delivered. And the message God has delivered is a message worth defending. Same thing happens with a guy named Paul, by the way. Paul was writing to a church who was being plagued by faith pirates. And Galatians 1, he writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You see what he's doing? The same thing you should be doing, defending the gospel of God. This begs the question, what is the true gospel of God? Because according to Paul and Jude, there's a gospel contrary to the gospel God has delivered. And in verse 4 of Jude, he writes that some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, also preaching a false gospel. So let's quickly understand what the gospel according to the Bible is and the gospel that God wants us to defend. It is most clearly articulated in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it there on the screen. But again, our boy Paul writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you would have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Pause. Why is that such a big deal? Why is Christ dying for our sins good news and a message worth defending? Because I'm mainly a good person. I don't cuss or 
chew or go with girls who do. You know what I'm saying? And so what's all this sin talk really about? Well, if you've been here for any duration of time, you'll understand that sin is actually an archery term. It means to fall short. So God has a target. The bullseye is holiness and righteousness and perfection. And you don't have to worry about the bullseye because you're not even going to hit the target. You're going to fall short. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that's true. You've fallen short somewhere in your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances, uh, on the test that one time, with your emotions. If you're honest, you can look back and say, there was this time in life where I thought that this will make me happy. So I did it. And whatever it was, you felt guilt or shame or discontentment. So what is that? It's the effects of sin. It's the result of falling short. And God is speaking into your heart saying, there's something more. You're missing out on what is best. There's life to the full out there and you're missing it. You're missing joy. You're missing freedom. And Jesus says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to die where you for because you have fallen short. Romans 5 says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Now, a lot of folks will ask, well, why did Jesus have to die for my sin? Because the wages of sin is death. In other words, you earn death by sinning, by not being perfect, by not being righteous, by not being holy. The wages of that is death. Watch this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. So death is the result of sin. And as we all know, death is coming for everybody. So what separates Christianity from every other world religion is the fact that God says, no, I'm going to become human and I'm going to rescue creation. And it has nothing to do with their actions and everything to do with my actions. And I'll put an end to sin and death. Paul continues, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, though most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, his brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. That is to say, if you don't believe in Jesus and that he rose from the dead, just go ask any of these people. The over 500 people who saw him alive. To that point, why did Jesus need to rise from the dead? Because that's just crazy talk. I mean, I can get behind the whole sin thing. Yeah, I know I've fallen short, but why does he have to raise from the dead in order to forgive me? On to Hebrews chapter 2. The reason he had to raise from the dead is articulated there when the author writes, because God's children are human beings, Made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So there you go. He died and rose again to give you eternal life. He beats the power of sin and death. And like I mentioned, it's the only world religion to make that claim. That God becomes a human in order to make a way for you to be made right with God. That's the gospel. 
That's what we're contending for. God loves you. He died for you, just like he said he would in the Bible. And the moment you believe that, you have the gift of eternal life because Jesus won. And Jude says, that's worth fighting for. That's worth contending for. That's a message worth defending. Now, what I hope you're asking is, okay, how? Sure, I believe the gospel. I believe it's worth fighting for. But how do I defend it? Well, number one, we can't contend for the wrong things. Jot that down. Don't contend for the wrong things. We must never confuse the gospel with personal preferences or favorite traditions. You'll want to notice that the Bible doesn't say the gospel is health, wealth, and happiness. The Bible never says the gospel is going to result in you having a life filled with bunnies dancing on rainbows eating chocolates. God, through multiple human authors, says the gospel is spiritual freedom and eternal life. He says the good news of the gospel is when I look down at you, I no longer see your arrow falling short. I see my son, Jesus. I see you in terms of a bullseye. Now, let me be perfectly clear. Are personal freedoms and liberties worth fighting for? Yes, but let's not mix political with spiritual. Make no mistake, Jesus is a monarchy. He is a king. So the freedom we all long for as human beings isn't found in a democracy. It can only be found in submission to him. And throughout all of history, human beings have been twisting freedom into power. And even when Jesus was alive, what Jesus said was so controversial. And it was so threatening to the powers that be, it got him killed. I guess what I'm trying to say is the gospel is the umbrella over every other area of life. So if the gospel isn't influencing what you're fighting for, you're fighting for the wrong thing. I'll give you a couple examples. In this church, every decision that we make is based on the question, how will this make us more effective in spreading the gospel? And it doesn't mean we don't take into consideration our preferences or your preferences because we're each entitled to have our preferences and the type of chair you're in and where you sit and the music you like. You can have your preferences and you can have your preferences for who preaches and how they preach and where they preach from. And the beauty in this country is you can find a church that will check off every box on your checklist. But to contend for or defend your personal preference according to scripture is wrong we defend the gospel you realize the organ was once considered the instrument of the devil right seriously look it up hundreds of years ago martin luther was criticized for bringing the organ into church because it was being used in that pit of hell called the theater and he said quote why should the devil have all the good music just for the record he was also criticized for wearing a robe because it was common teacher's apparel and you shouldn't be common. And here we are today in 2020 criticizing people for wearing jeans or common t-shirts or hats or whatever. See, many times 
we replace Christ with choice. So it's not, Jesus, can you use this? It's, do I even like this? And in my experience, many people replace conversation with anonymous comments. So instead of having a conversation, trying to figure out why are you using this, it's, I'm going to criticize this under the auspices of you not knowing who I am. And instead of asking the question, is the gospel influencing the decision, we say this isn't how I would do it. And instead of fighting for who's walking through our doors, people start fighting for how the door looks. No, unity is worth fighting for because the gospel is worth fighting for. And it doesn't mean we don't ever disagree. Of course we're going to be disagreeing. We're human. And God says that he's going to bring certain people to certain churches because he wants to harvest certain fruit. And then sometimes he brings those people out of the church so that his purpose can continue somewhere else. And he might even lead one of you to another church because of your preference and your preference to build that church in that time, which is why we need each other so the gospel can continue. But to leave a church in shambles, to divide a church over things that aren't the gospel, according to the brother of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament writers, that's wrong. So I'll say this as plainly as I know how. Your church, it's worth fighting for. It's worth contending for. Why? Because people matter to God and people are worth fighting for. You know what that means? It means your spouse, they're worth fighting for. Your children, they're worth fighting for. Your black neighbor, worth fighting for. Your immigrant co-worker, worth fighting for y'all got me trying to preach it's been too long since anybody's been here and and listen listen just because you've never experienced something doesn't mean it doesn't exist if your spouse is saying this isn't working i'm not feeling loved if your kids are saying i need you home more I don't ever see you. If our black brothers and sisters are saying, I'm feeling oppressed, look right at me. They're worth fighting for. Amen, somebody. Heart, heart, heart. Clappy hands if you're watching online. Make no mistake. Something in this world is broken and the only fix, the only fix is Jesus. Come on, somebody. The only fix is a new heart and a new life that can only be given by God. So what do we know? We know the gospel shapes and informs everything about our lives. And we know the gospel is worth fighting for. We know the gospel is a message that's been delivered and it's a message worth defending. We do that not by fighting for the wrong things. And number two, we know that everything we need to live the Christian life is already been provided by God. Everything you need for living the Christian life has been provided. Jude writes, defend the faith that God has delivered once for all time. I'll say it this way. Anything that you discover that's new might be helpful, but it's not necessary. Anything you discover that's new, it might be helpful, but it's not necessary. God's already delivered everything that we need. What worries me 
is that in your search for new, you'll be taken on a dangerous detour. Because it looks as though, in American culture, that everybody is after something new. And we're deluged with new. New this, new that, new and improved. The gospel isn't new. God hasn't changed. We have more access to information now than we ever have in the history of the world. And it's all at your fingertips, on your phone. And the reality is, you only believe the parts of the Bible that you do. So this isn't about the new. This is about the now. God has given you everything you need to accomplish his purpose in the world right now. You know, what I hope you understand is things get difficult because distractions will often show up on your doorstep masquerading as opportunities. But you've got to get to the place in your life where you understand that not every opportunity was meant for you. Again, it's why we need each other because each one of us are going to contend for, to defend our piece of the gospel pie. But your piece is going to look different than my piece. And all the pieces make up the pie, but not all the pieces are equal in size or quality. Don't you know this? Because your kids fight for over which piece of the chocolate sheet cake that they want, because nobody wants the edge piece. Gross. Like, who wants to eat the crust? Nobody eats the crust. It's all hard and dry, and I just, give it, I just cut right out of the middle anymore. Life's too short to waste your time eating crust. But uh, I think God wants people who say, the ministry that you've entrusted to me is the most important ministry in the gospel pie. I want people who think like that. It's why I want leaders who contend for what God has delivered to them. It's it's been provided to them, so let's use it. I mean, I want our set-up volunteers to say comfortable chairs in a straight line. That's the most important thing to the gospel. Because if people can see, they're more likely to listen. And if they're comfortable, they're more likely to pay attention. And I want our hospitality volunteers to say, "No, no, no, good coffee is the most important thing to spreading the gospel. And the welcome folks to say, no, greeting somebody with a smile is the most important thing to the gospel. On production, people say, no, getting the Bible on the screen with microphones so people can hear, that's the most important thing. And the kids ministry to say, no, 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 giving kids an opportunity to hear the gospel early on is the most important thing. And the band to say, no, singing on key and playing the right instrument, that's the most important thing. And the one thing that you'll never hear any volunteer say in this place is, no, what's the most important thing is what we've always done. No, 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 no. That We won't say that because God didn't say that. And God provides what we need when we need it. So we're going to work hard at discovering what God is offering to us today because we know it's there. We know he's provided it. We just also know that he's entrusted to us the difficult job of figuring out how that looks in our lives. That's the whole point of this church, to help you discover and figure out what God has made you to do today, to connect you to God's purpose. So we defend the gospel. We contend for each other. We fight for how God has made you because you matter to God, you matter to us, and you have a purpose. That's what we're about. 
and we're going to be unified in that purpose. And New Anthem isn't going to be a place where we're known by what we're against, but rather we will be a place that is known by what we are for. And we are for people. And if for some reason we would have to close our doors, people will say, I didn't necessarily believe what they believe, but man, I sure miss those guys because they cared. And I know they were for us. And I know I've said this before, but it's a helpful reminder. So write this down and then we're done. To keep your passion level high, keep your distraction level low. To keep your passion level high, keep your distraction level low. We're not distracted by outside forces. We're laser focused and contending for one thing, the gospel. And the gospel says you're important. The gospel says that God has provided you everything you need to make faithful disciples of Jesus, world changers. So keep your passion level high and your distraction level low. God, help us to that end. Keep our passion for you high. Encourage us, strengthen us. Help us discover this purpose that you have created us to live. God, help us contend for the one true message of the gospel. Uh, Don't let subsidiary things divide us, but rather let us discuss things and encourage one another and just have a huge impact in the world because we know you're worth it and we want to make your name famous and see all of our friends and family in the eternal heaven that you have provided. We just know that the only way that can happen is through your son Jesus. And so again, we're asking you to do what only you can do and speak to our hearts. Talk to us about those places we've fallen short. Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. To say, no, no, you are doing the right thing. I've got you where I want you. And if for some reason there's anybody here or watching online who hasn't yet made this commitment to you, God, who's really understood this gospel of free salvation through your son, Jesus. Speak to them now. If that's you, I I want you to understand that the Bible makes it clear all you have to do is confess and believe. Jesus paid your price. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It says just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you'll be saved. So make that decision today. Don't wait. Just say, God, I believe in your gospel, in your son Jesus, that he died for me, he rose from the dead, and beat the power of sin and death. Forgive my sin. Make me new. Let me live for you. You've provided all I need. God, thanks again. Encourage us this week to make a difference, to live for you, to defend your gospel, to do what you've provided us to do. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.